Charles Kettering says, it is the follow through that makes the difference between ultimate success and failure because it is so easy to stop. And we have a few examples of follow through today, both human and holy, as well as the conclusion of this book of Esther. So let's get to it. Welcome, I'm Michelle Berkey, and this is Praying Scripture, a weekday broadcast where we use God's own words to honor Him and to talk to Him about the things going on in our life and in our world. This is episode 206, and we are going to pray our way through the final chapters of the book of Esther. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about life and about prayer. I spent most of my, not most, occasional parts of my Saturday working on a quilt project for a friend. I finished a handful of blocks, but most of the time was spent taking out, remaking, and unpicking. I had taught uh, my son to sew last week because he was working on a costume and he needed to string some fabric pieces together and we used a zigzag stitch to do that. I forgot to switch it back to a straight stitch and so I pieced a whole chain of blocks with a zigzag. It took me five times as long to take that out as it did to sew it in the first place. Then at some point I ran out of bobbin thread so there was more undoing and redoing. And to cap it all off as I was putting the finished blocks away late in the evening, I realized that I had grabbed the wrong ruler and I had trimmed them all an inch too small. So the entire day's effort had to be redone. So, so frustrating. My son has been working on this costume for an event for the past two weeks. It's super cool. He's been building this foam armor and uh, costume and he, he put a ton of work and a ton of time and a ton of thought into it only for the event to be canceled the night before, or potentially postponed. He was so disappointed and I felt so sorry for him. I had the same conversation with him that I had to have with myself last night, that there is a tremendous value in the process, in the making, no matter what the end result is. Time and effort in the process has huge benefits and intrinsic rewards. So if you tend, as I have for much of my life, to focus on the product, the result, remember that the process is just as or more important than the product itself. All right, so that's how my weekend went. But let's talk for a little bit about prayer. The way that we teach and talk about prayer often puts it squarely in a, quote, obligation category. It becomes a to-do list item to check off, something we develop elaborate systems or routines to maintain, or something that we tend to feel guilty about. But is prayer really an obligation? Speaking to the ones that we love happens naturally, and so should talking to God. Sometimes we do schedule important conversations. But that's the exception rather than the rule in our human interactions. So how does this apply to our prayer life? Let me clarify first. There is nothing wrong with getting up at 6 o'clock every morning and praying through a prayer notebook of requests or whatever your schedule or habit or practice looks like. It's fine. But when it begins to feel stale or becomes more about the routine and checking a box off than about the relationship, that's where we have a problem. Think about how you talk to your family or your best friend. You send them random messages throughout the day. You comment on something that you're both doing. You have conversations when you pass in the hallway. You probably do have regularly scheduled conversations like over dinner most days, but you aren't rehashing the same words every night like we often do in prayer. So how do we keep prayer from becoming an obligation? 
Here are five suggestions. One, focus on the relationship first, and the conversations will become a natural outgrowth of that relationship. Two, instead of a list of requests, consider starting with, let's talk about this today. Here's how I feel about it, and go from there, including listening in that conversation. And three, every time you want to phone a friend about something or talk to your family about something, whether it's venting or planning or asking, have a conversation with God about it first. So the moment you hear yourself thinking, I need to talk about this or starting to talk about it, stop and have a conversation with God about it first. Four, change up your routine. If you have a very scheduled prayer life, unschedule it. Work it into your day instead. If you're not a scheduler, try setting some time aside to focus on it. And five, change your internal talk. We often think about obligations as the I have to's in life. I have to do the laundry or clean the kitchen or generate that weekly report for my work. Instead, begin to think about prayer as a I get to. It's my privilege to. And watch how your attitude will follow your language, both internal and external language. So those are just five quick things to think about ways to switch prayer from being an obligation to a vital part of your life. So let's get to the prayer part of the program. Worship today is from Psalm 147, verse 5. Short little verse in the Psalms. It says, Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. So let's pray. Father, we come to you today and audibly, intentionally recognize that you are amazing, awe-inspiring. This verse says, great. You are great. No matter how we feel about our circumstances, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what we might be upset about or dismayed about or or intentionally um, happy about, no matter anything that's going on in our life, the truth remains that you are great. You are awe-inspiring. You are vast in power, the verse says. Vast in power. Far above and beyond anything that I can imagine um, being here on earth, whether in my own life or the lives of those who hold power in our world. Your power is vast. And your understanding is infinite. Infinite. My understanding is so limited. We think it's this big thing. Like, I understand it all. I understand how exactly that situation went down. I understand all the ramifications of this plan. But my understanding is a sliver, especially when you think about the understandings of everyone else on earth from their perspectives. But your understanding is infinite. You, you know all the things we do and infinitely more. So help me rely on that understanding. We honor you today for the fact that you are amazing, that you are vast in power, and that your understanding is infinite. So when I look and make requests and get upset or feel bad about the things going on in my life or not happening when I want them to, help me to remember that your understanding is infinite and you will move in the perfect time. As we step into the rest of this, these verses, this um, passage, these chapters in the book of Esther, 
pray that you would be with us this morning. Oh, I hate when I do that. That's a habitual thing that people say. I know you are with me. Help me sense your presence. Be in our hearts speaking to us about these verses and helping apply each one the way we each need to see it applied in our life. Help us be responsive and help us not leave this time changed because how can we not be changed when we encounter you? We love you. Amen. All right. We switch back the screens and I'm going to give you a rundown of the rest of these uh, the chapters in this book. We have three final chapters in the book of Esther, seven, no, eight, nine, and 10. And the climax of the drama of the book has already happened. We got to that last weekend where Esther comes before the queen. She reveals her request. We have this intimate conversation between Esther and Haman and the king and resulting in Haman's being um, sentenced to death on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. This dramatic scene has taken place. But Esther and Mordecai and the rest of the Jews still have a major problem. Persian laws, like the edict to kill the Jews, cannot be changed. The laws are irrevocable. So Haman has been dealt with, and a great reversal happens in the beginning of this chapter. Esther is given his estate, and Mordecai is given his position and authority, but they are still both under a death penalty, along with millions of other Jews. So Esther petitions the king again. She comes before him again without being invited. He extends his scepter, and this time, publicly, she begs for her life and the lives of her people. The king tells them, do whatever you think is right. I give you full power and authority to make whatever law that you think is appropriate to reverse this problem. So an edict is written that the Jews may assemble and kill those who would do them harm on the day that they had been ordained to die. So they are allowed to assemble and um, defend themselves against those who would kill them. There was an urgency to get the word out. This time the Jews were told directly that they could defend themselves. And instead of the confusion and mourning that came with the first edict, there was rejoicing and celebration. And the others in the nation began to fear doing harm to the Jews. And many began to align with the Jews and call themselves Jews. So the fateful day arrives. The Jews were overwhelmingly victorious. They killed their enemies, but they did not take the plunder, though they had been allowed to. In the fortress of Susa, the inner fortress where the king and the palace and uh, Esther and Mordecai live, the king asks how it went that day. And the king asks, or the, and Esther asks for one more day within the city, just within the city, and that the ten sons of Haman would be hanged. The king grants this request, so the fighting continues for another day in the fortress. Afterwards, the Jews rest and celebrate and give gifts. And we learn that this is the, the beginning of the Feast of Purim. This is the, the impetus for that feast. And that Mordecai and that Mordecai declares that this would be an ongoing feast that would be forever upheld for the Jewish people to remember their salvation on that day. The last chapter, chapter 10, is short. It's like that ending scene in a TV show where they wrap up all the details and explain the context. The situation is like this. The king enacts a severe tax throughout the entire kingdom, and Mordecai continues to work for the well-being and prosperity of his people. We'll read that verse and pray, or read those through, few verses and pray through them at the end of today's uh, prayer time. The victory of the Jewish people was won, but the earthly kingdom 
is still in place. We do not, will not see a full or final peace throughout, through the efforts of Esther and Mordecai. That needed to wait for the first and second coming of Christ. Warren Wearsby says this, God does not always give this kind of a happy ending to everybody's story. Today, not all faithful Christians are promoted and given special honors. Some of them get fired because of their stand for Christ. God hasn't promised that we would be promoted and made rich, but He has assured us that He is in control of all circumstances and that He will write the last chapter of the story. If God doesn't promote us here on earth, He certainly will when we get to glory. All right, that's the summary of these final chapters. Uh, let's get into the verses. I have a verse from, or a few passages from 8, a few passages from 9, and all of chapter 10, which is three whole verses. So let's get to it. Esther 8, 1 through 3 says this, That same day, King Ahasuerus awarded Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordecai entered the king's presence because Esther had revealed her relationship to Mordecai. The king removed his signet ring he had recovered from Haman and gave it to Mordecai and Esther put him in charge of Haman's estate. Then Esther addressed the king again. She fell at his feet, wept, and begged him to revoke the evil of Haman the Agagite and his plot he had devised against the Jews. That was Esther 8, 1 through 3, so let's pray. Father, we recognize uh, and see in this passage this reversal, and while we'll talk more about that next week, I want to just appreciate this fact that we had come to the point where everything felt lost, um, particularly for Esther and Mordecai, but also for the entire Jewish nation. And here we see this amazing reversal of fortune. The ascending of Mordecai's influence and power has kind of reached this climax now. Esther is awarded all of his estate and his money. She puts uh, Mordecai in charge of it. The king gives his signet ring to Mordecai. Mordecai is now second in command in his kingdom in Haman's place. And Esther comes before the king and cries out for her people again. What I want to pray for this morning in response to this passage is that it might seem like there was this victory, that all of these things were accomplished, that the the major drama has been handled, but there's still work to be done. Esther has to continue to go before the king and intercede for her people. There are times when a huge victory is won, but we still have work to do. And I pray that you would continue to enable us to work. Keep us from um, focusing on those victories, like those are the only things, when they are not the whole war. I guess that's my request. Keep us from victorious battles bogging us down and stopping us from completing the war, from continuing to uh, act in the ways that we need to act in obeying the things that you have laid out for us to do. Keep us obedient. Give us the courage to continue to do the things again and again and again that need to happen. Esther went before the king again without being requested Let our experiences give us courage to do the things again. She was successful the first time and and her life was spared. It's not guaranteed that it would happen again, but she had the confidence that he had granted her request, that she was finding favor in his eyes and she could do it again. Help us to continue to walk forward 
Help us to recognize the reversals in life when we see your hand at work, when evil is overthrown and good wins. It's so easy for us to focus on the times when evil wins. Help us learn to see and celebrate the wins. Esther 8, 15 through 17, this is the end of this same chapter, says, Mordecai went from the king's presence, clothed in royal blue and white, with a great gold crown and a purple robe of fine linen. The city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, and the Jews celebrated with gladness, joy, and honor. In every province and every city where the king's command and edict reached, gladness and joy took place among the Jews. There was a celebration and a holiday, and many of the ethnic groups of the land professed themselves to be Jews because fear of the Jews had overcome them. All right, I mentioned just a few moments ago, God, this a request that we would celebrate the wins. And in this case, that's what this passage reveals, that the Jews did that. They still had to prepare and fight, but this was a huge step, that they would be allowed to defend themselves, that they would be allowed to stand up for their themselves and not have to go to a slaughter as a condemned people. They celebrated with gladness and joy that um, partial step toward victory. Help us to do that too. And not just in like the big things. This was a huge step. But in the small things that we do with our lives, let's say we are wanting to become more structured in our prayer life, that we want to have a little bit more intent involved or intention in our days. And we do that for three days. Help us celebrate. That's not a huge thing, not a huge win, but it's so important to celebrate those victories. Forgive me when I haven't seen your work in my life in small ways and celebrated that, when I've been too focused on the doing and the working to remember the resting and the celebration. Work that rhythm into our lives in intentional, meaningful ways that celebrating and resting becomes part of the practice of our lives. Grow that in us in ways that everyone else sees, that others see your work partly because we're celebrating it and we're not just grinding away at it. And they also learn to honor your name. Esther 9, 1 and 2 says this, The king's command and law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. On the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. In each of King Ahasuerus's provinces, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who intended to harm them. Not a single person could withstand them. Fear of them fell on every nationality. Father, this was a people condemned. Everything looked hopeless. An, an unchangeable law went out that they should be annihilated. Their whole culture eliminated from the earth, essentially, because this was the known, the known world at this time where all the Jews would have been located. Instead, you gave them an overwhelming victory. You made the impossible possible, and the, the known world recognized it. Father, we ask for that to happen in our lives as well, that you would make the impossible possible, and that then your uh, glory would be given to your name through those circumstances. There are plenty of things that feel impossible in our life, but nothing is impossible with you. This wasn't impossible for the Jews, and it 
isn't impossible for us. You are the factor that makes all all things possible. You are great and your power is vast. So those things that look impossible in our life, we ask you to move in them, make them possible. Bring about your victory here in our lives in the same way that others recognize and no one can stand before you. Esther 10, 1 through 3. This is the entire of chapter 10. It says, King Ahasuerus imposed a tax throughout the land, even to the farthest shores. All of his powerful and magnificent accomplishments and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank with which the king had honored him, have they not been written in the book of historical events of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus. He was famous among the Jews and highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of all his descendants. Father, there's this amazing victory. You have saved your people. You have moved in the circumstances to reverse the impossible and save your people. But yet the kingdom remains. There is a king in power who, while he allowed the Jews to live, is still has the same temper, still has the same power, still has the same devotion to beauty and extravagance. He still has the same need to feed this system of power, and he imposes a tax to the farthest shores on all of his people. I think some of the other uh, translations talk about that it was a burdensome tax, that this was not a little thing. This was a big deal. The, your, your kingdom, he has not been overthrown. The, the kingdom that the Jews were living in is still an earthly kingdom devoted to material possessions and power and wealth. There were still cruelties, There was still a capricious nature to this rule. They had won a victory, but the war was not won. And yet Mordecai, with his new power and position, continued to work for the prosperity and well-being of his people. We still live in a kingdom today that is driven by a need for power and authority. There are still cruel and capricious men and women in office uh, or in power over us all over the world. There are still cruelties that governments impose, and not just governments, but cultures. There is still a devotion to material things, to wealth and beauty and extravagance. We live in the same kingdom today. Help us continue no matter where we stand in the, in the before and the after of the impossible and the possible. Help us continue to work for the well-being of our people and pursuing the prosperity of your kingdom, of your people. Help us continue to do the things that you ask of us. May you find us, as Mordecai was, obedient, hardworking, and full of grace and truth. Help us to act when we need to act, be silent when we need to be silent, and help us never forget that you are present in every circumstance, no matter when it seems like you're there or not. The truth is that you are there, you do care, and you are working behind the scenes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so grateful that you were here with me this morning. This completes the book of Esther, but we still have another Monday within this month. And so 
next week, we're going to wrap with some overviews of some specific themes. Some things like God being behind the scenes, uh, reversals, uh, those kind of things. Some themes that we uh, saw throughout the book that we didn't have time to look at the whole book as a whole. And this book in particular needs to be seen as a whole. It doesn't make as much sense when you're pulling individual parts out of it. If you are watching on uh, the broadcast, thank you for being here. We'll be here at the same time next week. If you're a podcast listener, thank you for consuming the show in that format. If you would share it with a friend, introduce this show to someone that you think might benefit, it would be so appreciated. The best thing that you can do for a small uh, maker or creative or uh, a business owner is to introduce them to your friends. Praying Scripture is brought to you by Grace in the Gravel Road. And my heart is, as we do this together, that we will grow in our prayer lives, that we will learn how to use Scripture in this way, that we will see God answer these prayers in mighty ways. But most of all, my desire is that you and I will both fall deeper in love with the God who gave us these words. Amen. Amen.